Welcome, flower friends, to the Local Flowers Podcast, where you'll fall in love with local seasonal blooms even more by hearing the stories from flower farmers new and experienced. I'm your host, Rochelle, from Freckled Bloom Flower Farm. Welcome. Hello, flower friends. On this week's Flower Farmer Chat, we have our first male flower farmer. Woohoo! And I invite all you other guys out there to the conversation. But Austin from Buzz Blooms joins us this week. He's growing flowers in Tennessee and has such a fun and inspiring story to share. Well, welcome back, flower friends, to the Local Flowers Podcast. So this week's Flower Farmer Chat, I have Austin. We've had a lot of women on the podcast, so I'm excited for my first male guest. He's from Buzz Blooms, and he grows there in Tennessee. So welcome, Austin, to the podcast. Hello, hello. Thanks for joining us. You know, usually we hear a female voice, so it is nice to hear a guy's perspective. Yeah, I hope I do it justice. (laughs) If you have more friends, you should send them my way. I will, I will. We can can definitely get you some more male guests. I know of a few, so... Okay, perfect. You'll have to hook me up. Usually we get started with just talking about your maybe what your earliest memory of flowers was and just your whole journey to this world of flowers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I get I get this question a lot. The question of like, how did you even get started with flowers? Because you say, oh, I'm a flower farmer and people are instantly confused. They didn't realize that even existed. So then they think that you must love flowers more than anything in the entire world. And when I first got started, that was just not true. (laughs) I have learned to love flowers more than anything in the world. But I grew up gardening and I, I loved the garden. So flowers for me came a lot later. You know, I was out there picking picking beans with my mama, you know? <laughs> and for me, that was, that was fun. We lived in the country. I was maybe that last group of kids that didn't have cell phones. So that was what I loved. And it just carried over into adulthood. That's great. I love that. And I was one of those of uh, the last generation that didn't have cell phones too. The so best, the best generation. I love it. We, we understand tech, but we still got a good childhood. I, I, that's my favorite. <laughs> 100%. But now let's flash forward and you are very popular on the Instagram world and you bring us so much joy. So <laughs> going from no cell phone to a huge following on Instagram. Yes. Tell us a little bit about well, that. Well, first and foremost, I'm overcompensating for my no cell phone, cell phone years. Yeah. So when I got going on my flower farming journey, um, my background is in marketing. So I knew right out of the gate, I needed some kind of way to communicate and get people to be interested in my products. And I found like what I liked most was just sharing my day. And uh, it's a little less direct. It's not quite as salesy. But by just sharing, I just stumbled across the right people. And over, I guess it's been, wow, it's been five years now, which is, wow, crazy. I'm, I'm aging out. Uh, <laughs> but a lot of people have have grown with me and started following along. So it's it's been crazy. And here in the past year, I've really, really started to get a lot of new people looking at my stuff. You know, being the marketing expert that you are, as flower farmers, we're trying to find our niche in the world and sell our product. And oftentimes, just sharing your own personal experience and your personality helps kind of build your own client base. So that's great. And I know you've got a lot of partnerships now. So maybe talk about your transition from, you know, selling the blooms directly to your local consumer to now you're doing more partnerships and what that looks like. Yeah, so... 
when I when I first got going, I just wanted to sell flowers any way I could. I think I'm just like everybody. Like if someone gave me a dollar, I would give them 17 bouquets and I would like thank them profusely because they did me such a big favor. I have since changed my tune a little bit. I like to consider myself just as generous, but I will still take your money. Um, <laughs> so now, especially in the past few years, um, I tried everything. I've tried CSA model. I have had several different groceries, that, grocery stores that would carry my blooms, um, and then selling direct to florists. And I found for me the the biggest happy medium was selling directly to florists, simply because the time commitment that it takes every time you're interacting with a customer, it takes time, which is wonderful, and I loved it. But as I still am working. Well, I went back to work my corporate day job. I don't have as much of that. So <laughs> selling to florists has been the best. And uh, I miss out on some sales opportunities. But overall, I'm really pleased with the way my revenue has reflected my new model. This is a topic that doesn't get talked about. You know, farming and especially like it feels like flower farming is very physical on your body. And so that transition, you know, had to do a lot with your health. And if you don't mind sharing me, Maybe we can talk a little bit about that because I feel like we don't exactly talk about, you know, we'll see the pretty pictures on Instagram, but we don't really see the backbreaking work that goes behind it. So if you don't mind sharing your experience, yeah. there, I'd love to hear. <clears throat> so several, several years ago when I first got started, I was working in the marketing space and it just started ramping up. I started selling cut flowers. It started getting bigger and bigger business and I was kind of grappling this do I do it full time? Do I not do it full time? I think a lot of small farms actually hit that that moment because you could do so much more if you would just do it full time. So for me, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to do it full time while I kind of freelance market on the side. So I was full time flower farming for the past two years before this past year. So for about two years, I was doing it full time in the middle of those two years, a year after I decided I was going to do it full time and things were going great. I had just hired two employees. We were booming. I was also doing weddings, multiple wholesale options. Things were going great. I was cultivating about an acre of cut flowers as well as just some perennial beds that they didn't quite count in that acre. But it really wasn't like, it was like 1.1 acres max, uh, which is a lot of growing space to manage by hand. And we were doing doing well, and then I started having health issues. Um, so I got, I got sick, nobody really knew what was going on with me, tons and tons of testing. And if, uh, if you know anything about being self-employed, medical insurance is a doozy. And thankfully, I was affording myself medical insurance, I paid for medical insurance, but it wasn't the best medical insurance. So I quickly started having medical bills just kind of stack on each other. And then I had an abdominal surgery and I thought I was bouncing back. There was a multi-week recovery. This was right in the middle of my second full-time season and I was feeling discouraged. But, you know, we had, I had my help and I was able to kind of delegate and it was still going okay. But then... It, after about a year of consistent ongoing issues, I was diagnosed with permanent nerve damage from the surgery. And there is no real treatment plan that is really considered safe. So <laughs> I went from what was supposed to be kind of routine 
to something that I will be living with for the rest of my life. So for someone who is as as young as I am, and I still consider myself young, I think some people would beg to differ, but I'm going to say I'm still young. You know, that that's kind of a shocking realization. It changes because you've never battled any real health issues, or at least I hadn't. So then suddenly to have this huge limiter, because it really, really makes the farm challenging for me. Um, you use your abdomen for every single thing you could ever think of. You know, I went to therapy for months and months and months. And I finally just broke down and I realized like I need an employer's assistance to a make things happen months and months to cover these bills. And I need the health insurance. So I finally caved after just sticking it out. And I went back and I got a full time job that gave me health benefits so I could start prioritizing my health and getting better. And I've, I'm still there. And I think it's one of the best decisions I've made because ironically, like after all of this, I'm now working that job and my farm is even more profitable. <laughs> so I'm like, wow, it's like having two full time jobs, but it's afforded me the flexibility that I could get rid of my CSA program, which I had to do just because, you know, you have to deliver those flowers every week. If I have a bad week physically, I just can't make that happen. So I've had to adjust my model a lot, which is why the florist model works really well, because if I'm kind of having a bad week, I can just say, hey, no wholesale availability this week. And then I just kind of rest. So through all that transition, I wasn't able to keep my full-time employees because we just were not there yet. I think if I had had one more healthy year under my belt, we'd be there. But I'm now since bringing back on one of them part-time. And I think we're going in the right direction now. Austin, thank you so much for sharing that. Wow, what a journey. And so now I'm full-time because I got laid off from my full-time job. And I was thankful that I had this kind of as a backup plan but I've kind of been in this mentality well I gotta grow I gotta grow because I have to you know make up for that difference but yes like when your your physical health comes into play you know I say to my husband I was working in healthcare for 15 years and never had any major issues and the second I lose my healthcare job I hurt my knee everything like- everything starts <laughs> to un- unfold it's it also feels like you know I guess you get in that that headspace but it's like one thing always just keeps stacking and you feel like you can't ever get better thankfully gardening is amazing for your mental health so i didn't really struggle too much with that through the process which is great absolutely but like you said the medical bills are insane and so yeah like when you're farming full-time you have this pressure to continue to build so that you you know, are making a good, healthy living. So it's good to hear your story and just how you've transitioned through that. And it is extremely challenging. And I just applaud you for still having an amazing, positive attitude at the end of it. And yeah, I just hope that you just continue to grow. But I think that's what's amazing about like flowers, though. There's really kind of endless opportunities. Um, Like you said, you were able to kind of transition from a CSA model to, you know, selling florist wholesale so if something doesn't work and doesn't fit your lifestyle then you can always pivot to something different and so yeah that's exciting to hear for you and I know you're doing kind of more partnerships do you maybe want to talk about those as well kind of as you're transitioning from more you know the insane bouquet making to other ways to generate revenue
revenue through your flower. Yes. So as I've been kind of growing my following, education has been a huge, huge thing to me. And it's something I have all this knowledge from trying to do this for so many years. And education is something my body can actually do, right? It's so funny to, I feel like I'm 97 when I say that, like, oh, my body, like, <laughs> but it's just my new reality. So education has played a huge key part for me in the social media space. And I just have decided to like really lean into educating people. And that has resulted in a lot of brands wanting to partner with me. Just I rep Harris Seeds, um, one of their growing partners. I work with a raised bed company. It's, it's just kind of resulted in this wonderful community of people that are very supportive and they want to educate and they want to see gardeners succeed. And I think there's a lot of people who get in the garden space and they're very intimidated to be there and I want that eradicated. But yes, that has proved to be another stream of income for me to do what I need to do and to continue to shore up my farm. It's not my primary business model, but it definitely does not hurt. <laughs> well, you have the personality for it. So that's really cool that got all those different partnerships that can support you. And then, yeah, you can just inspire folks to garden. And I love it. Thank Congrats you. Congrats on that. But also, I you've been adding to your farm there. I know you've got some really cool animals. Yes. <laughs> Do you maybe want to talk a little bit about your cow? And are you going into agro-tourism? Because I'm sure everybody's going to want to make flower crowns so, with your cow. Yeah. So <laughs> before I actually kind of started my downward decline, no, uh, before everything kind of unfolded, my new business model was actually going to be a U-Pick. I was really going to dive into that space because education, again, is something I've always prioritized. And it's an opportunity to get people out and get people to explore the flower world. So I actually had my whole farm set up for UPIC and it just never really materialized. I think I also, this is full transparency for anybody who's considering doing it, just making that decision to let people into your space is so scary. It's like a massive hurdle. I know so many people who do it and they do it well. But I'm also like, you know, that everyone's going to know where I live now. I'm not sure I'm really excited about that. And uh, I never I never made that leap. But it's something that is definitely on my radar. I have a wonderful farm set up that I can definitely continue to do these things. So and I've hosted a lot of workshops off farm. And I really, really want to start bringing more of those on farm. So yes, the cow will make an appearance. His name is Wellington. He is... A, just a giant cuddle bug. <laughs> I love it. He's so cool. I like have this vision of having one as well, but <laughs> I have too much stuff to maintain now. But yeah, he he looks awesome. I can totally relate. Like the whole like you cut experience to me just gives me major like heartburn. I, I just I can't do it. But I, I applaud all those that do. I, I'm too attached to my flowers. So if someone were out there stomping on them, I would I would be the person who's like ruining their experience running out there and be like no 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 
And I honestly, I don't, I don't know if I need that energy. <laughs> it would be tough for me. I agree. That would be me too. Like I, as it is when my kids' friends come over, I'm like, you guys can only play in this designated area. <laughs> Do not venture out. That's great. So, maybe share with us a little bit about uh, what it's like to grow in Tennessee. You know, I, <laughs> I was outside trying to plant flowers today and it decided to hail snow and now the sun's back out. So I'm curious all you southern growers i'm so jealous i've seen you guys all showing up with buckets full of flowers and stuff is just not growing here right now so it's so frustrating so i'm curious what's it like so i'm in zone 7a slash 7b i'm like really my county is so divided it is a wonderful growing climate uh you should absolutely be jealous um so we have the benefit so where i'm at right at the foot of the appalachian mountains we are actually considered deciduous rainforest. So we get lots of rainfall here. So I put up irrigation in my fields every single year. I turn it on maybe once. So I, I always, I feel like people tend to get really jealous of that fact because if you've grown flowers, you know that's a real issue. You know, we're we're at a wonderful kind of break in the climate where we're just cold enough that we can still get away with some colder crops, but also warm enough that we get earlier harvests and we don't need as much winter protection. Um, so for cool flowers, most of the cool flowers I don't even cover in the winter. I don't own a greenhouse. I flip back and forth every single year. Should I get a greenhouse? Should I not get a greenhouse? And I continually decide not to because there's just so much I can do in the field. That's like, focus on those, just the few crops that really need that space. Just don't grow, though. <laughs> That's incredible that you get to enjoy all those <laughs> They luxuries. They definitely are like, the rainfall is what really, really gets people. But I still set up irrigation every single year because we just never know. So in the summertime, do you like have to cover the blooms to protect them from the rain? Or what's your So in general, um, I don't have too, too many issues with that because most of what I'm growing, it's really like... I keep things really buttoned up, really cut. You know, there's that saying of like, if there's color in the field, you're not making money. I learned pretty quickly, like I need to be growing at a scale. Everything can be cut out of the field as, as much as possible. So I get actually on a, a harvest structure where set days of the week, I harvest set varieties and it works out to where most of the time I'm not struggling with any kind of water damage. It just has kind of worked out that way there will be days you know and then I just call those a loss and I just move on so I'm curious what are you growing this year this year I am doubling down on my vegetables with my flowers this is something that's so new to me so for example I am companion planting all all sorts of these different varieties of flowers in raised bed rows with vegetables which I've absolutely never done this could be a total misfire but I've been wanting to grow more vegetables because I feel like every year I sacrifice my vegetable garden because I'm so busy with like the commercial production side so that's really what I'm most excited about trying to kind of like divide that attention but also meet my revenue goals and also have all the all these vegetables we will see how that goes but that's really 
what I'm what I'm most pumped about. Everything else is pretty pretty standard, but I have switched a lot of what I'm growing to more. I feel like I'm a imposter flower farmer because most of what I'm growing and growing well and sells well for me is actually the foliage side and like these fillers. So my focals, like my focal lineup for florists is just so bleak this year, but it's because the foliage and like my eucalyptus harvest and stuff, they're more dependable and florists, like they need those all the time. Yeah, I, I think that switch, I wish I had known that my first year, I would have just dived straight into foliage and, and filler. And because everyone gravitates to the beautiful focals first, right? Like I, I do. Uh, <laughs> So, but yeah, lots of millets, lots of grain crops. Really excited about those. You know, we hear that a lot, especially like florists. There's never enough greenery. So uh, what would be a couple of your favorites that you're super stoked about? One of my absolute favorites, and I finally just grew it last year because I find the seeds are very expensive. So I was like, will I, will I earn anything off this? You know, I'm also a sucker for seeds. So I buy like the nicest one. And I'm like, no, it's fine. I will make my money back. And then I end up keeping all of the variety just for me because I'm like, oh, this is so cool. This is a danger for vegetables with me as well. I'm like out here trying to grow you know, like a pink tomato and that doesn't exist. I don't think it exists, but I'm trying to. So I think one of the ones that I just was blown away by last year was the mahogany hibiscus. The foliage, it, it takes a long time, but the volume that those plants produce is incredible. And for fall, I just, I really could not beat it. And then also I let it kind of die back in the fall. And I was so shocked. Like they, when the leaves die off, they put up like this really, really cool stem that texturally is a really unique element that I'm trying to get my florist on board with that I haven't seen before. It's kind of like modeled. I can't really explain it. You need a visual, but I was blown away by that. Another one that is actually a great seller for both florist and for just tucking in market bouquets, CSA bouquets, is Mountain Snow Euphorbia. It's a one-hit wonder. It's really quick. You have to be very cautious with it because the sap can be a skin irritant, but it grows so easily. I don't know why I didn't grow that my first year. It grows so, so easily and it produces the most beautiful foliage. I don't have any pest pressure with it and it sells every single time. Those are both beautiful and I absolutely love the mahogany splendor, but have you had any experience with your flora saying that it will on them I know you have to like be super on top of like making sure that it's woody but I know that can be like a complaint from florists that they just tend to not get it because it can wilt and so any I really have that? not had a single issue with that none so I I don't know if it's just where I'm growing it if it's my harvest treatment I don't, do not know but I have not had any issues with that I didn't even know that was an issue and now I'm feeling kind of like a jerk because I'm like this is such an easy crop grow this <laughs> and people are struggling with it well that has not been my experience no it's it's done so well and everything so well this just goes to how of an oh, excellent yes. flower farm you are because you're harvesting yes, at yes, the correct yes, stage yeah. I will say that is probably <laughs> one of the most challenging bits is learning all of the post harvest treatments and I still don't know I mean I've been doing this for years and years and years every year I still experiment with my post harvest handling for dahlias 
every single year. I'm like, do I want to put them in hot water? Do I want to, you know, like, because for me also, I have to, for time purposes, I have to balance that, right? So if it's a difference in only a 12 extra hour base life or one extra day of base life, for me, I kind of make that gamble of like, well, is it, is it truly worth it? Does the florist, particularly on something like a dahlia that's going to be used for an event, because I pretty much just sell dahlias for events, are they even going to notice or are they just going to enjoy it one day and then call it a day, you know? So I really try and weigh that. Sometimes I'm not going to lie. I don't do the best job. <laughs> well, it's a delicate balance. And what I'm finding is it's different yes. for different clients. So if you're doing like a market bouquet that you want it to last a week plus, you know, it's a different perspective than say, you know, a florist that is wanting to use it like exactly. two days. So yeah, it's a delicate balance of when to harvest things. Exactly. And, and also it, you, just, so. you just said... Um, bouquet i am not that southern but i do say bouquet and i'm sorry i cannot help it i just realized it and now i'm a little mortified i also say peony that's that's but that's yeah, not the I way too, <laughs> from what i've been told that is not the way so i just want to apologize for anyone out there uh fun fact i have a full degree in english literature um so I do know that, you know, like I know grammar rules and stuff. I just elect not to follow them. <laughs> I love it. Well, it's Dahlia, yes. uh, Dahlia, whatever. Like, you know what? If, if everybody. Exactly. If that's what you're going to pick on me for, that's, that's fine. That is. That feels way more wholesome in general than some other things. So I'll take it. Oh, I love it. That's hilarious. So with your dahlias, do you, this has been a question I've asked most folks is, do you organza back oh, man. or not? <laughs> so I will say there is a window of time that I will do this. So typically my pest pressure really, really falls off in the fall. So something I've actually started doing and I, you know, I've taken the workshop courses and stuff and I always wanted to beat the rest of the market with my dahlias, get them out there first because they are one of those crops that a lot of people they think that there's a huge market for them because they don't ship well. But the fact is there's a lot of competition within the local flower farming space. So you have to really kind of carve that out for yourself, depending on your zone, like depending on your area and your community. So for me, I used to always try and beat everybody to the market. The pest pressure in like that early summer window was insane for me. You know, we have the gene bugs and stuff that start to come out and it is just awful. So I've started kind of taking a new approach where I plant my dahlias later. I'm not trying to beat people to the market. I'm not trying to have dahlias for the full length of summer. I'm really focusing in on trying to have dahlias available in the fall. And dahlias take a lot, a lot of care. So for me, it also being able to plant them a little later gives me some more time in the earlier spring to focus on everything else. That's such a time commitment and time demand. So I find that the fall pest pressure is significantly less. And there's a few weeks to maybe a month at the beginning where I do need to bag. But after that, it just really falls off. So then I, I can kind of quit bagging. And that is the best thing in the world when you don't have to put the bags on the dahlias, okay? People do not realize how much work that is. Also, if you live in a place with a lot of rainfall, like I do, it can very easily 
cause your petals to mold and like you can have a lot of issues between the wet and the heat and the bag so i have really taken taken that approach um this year i am planting dahlias earlier than usual so i guess i'm not listening to myself but like i said i switched up a lot of things i don't have a lot of focals anymore and i'm like oh no i need some focals so I'm planting them out sooner. For the bulk, I like to plant them out a little later, hit that fall harvest window, so I don't have to bag. <laughs> that sounds like I've heard yes. that from some other southern growers, that they're trying to plant their dahlias a little bit later because you guys have such extreme heat in the summer and a lot of pest pressure. So yeah, no, I think that's kind of a trend. And this is where, for new beginners, it can be yeah. so overwhelming because there's, I mean, we all live in different microclimates it's different zones um one flower is not the same in a different place and so it can be so challenging just to like navigate absolutely. all the things and why it's important to just experience absolutely and space. i mean yeah so, i have been yeah. growing for almost five going on six years actively as a flower farmer and i don't think i've planted dahlias for example the same way twice so for everybody who's like, oh, you've got it together, you're an expert, that's not true. What I'm an expert at is understanding what doesn't work and then trying to innovate in that space and being okay if it doesn't work again and then just continuing to move forward. So yeah, I mean, zone is huge here. Like I really struggled. So in Tennessee, we actually, University of Tennessee now has like a little publication that I actually helped put together there was there was no information on cut flower farming at all when I started started growing. Even though there were other people doing it, there was not really a lot of resources for us. I mean, the floret books weren't even out when I started, so that gives you some <laughs> that gives you some idea. So I was really before that massive massive trend hit. So yeah, a lot of it was just me trying to do you know trying to do anything. If you know anything about growing tulips in Tennessee, for example, you need to pre-chill those bulbs. They need a period of chilling. Well, my very first crop that I planted commercially was a thousand single stem tulips that were not pre-chilled. I will say it was a cold winter and they all bloomed. And I also was like, what am I going to do with a thousand single stem tulips that all bloomed in one week? So uh, <laughs> do not recommend that for a first time grower. But the point I'm trying to make is I've made so many mistakes. That's the only reason I even remotely know what I'm doing is because I have not known what I'm doing for a very long time. <laughs> well, but you know what? Like I think of the weather, for example, it is continuously got more dramatic every year that I've been flower farming. So even if I think I know something, which I really don't, the weather and the just the environmental situations change year to year. And so you may think you're an amazing grower at said flower, but Mother Nature Ab might have absolutely. a different story for you. Absolutely. So yes. You it is. Evolve. It's not um, the career choice if you want to learn something and then just continue to like put it on autopilot and repeat your past successes. It's something that if you're not innovating, it, it's going to be a very challenging career for you. For sure. Um, Austin, I'm curious, as we're on the topic of flowers, what would be your favorite and what would be... Okay, so I'm going to start with the again. never grow again one because I'm very, very passionate about this. Um, and I will also probably pronounce it wrong because we've established I pronounce flower names wrong. So Lizzie Anthus. 
I am done with this flower. It is not returning to my farm. So I have tried to grow it for several years. And last year, I had a successful crop of it. But you know, they say you're sh you should get two really solid flushes. I was very disappointed in my, my second flush. And of course, I do not have a greenhouse. So this probably affects it. Um, if I was growing in a greenhouse, maybe I'd have better results. But between the really, really long germination time and having to order in plugs or really dedicating that grow space to start seeds for months, I just decided that it's not worth it to me, especially when you go to like a wholesale florist shop or like a wholesale flower place and there are like, it's just littered with lisianthus. And you're like, was I growing anything special this whole time that I've put in so much time and effort and work? I just find that I personally could not recoup the amount that I was investing in them both time and financially. So they have definitely been on my absolute positive cut list. Never, never again. <laughs> just I love how beautiful it is. But you know, that's you make an excellent point. If your conditions aren't ideal, and it's painful to grow it, and you have a plethora of it that's being sold around you, it's okay to admit, cut your losses and move on to exactly. Exactly. And it, it's, and it's perfect like. um, so that like you would that. love that because that's just proof that like everybody needs to find their own path within flower farming. So just because I don't like Lizzie at this doesn't mean you shouldn't try and grow it. That's just my personal experience with it. And I try and reiterate that to people that like just because I am not doing well with something in my area or I'm not selling a bunch of something in my area. I live in a rural town in Tennessee. I mean, not too many people know what Elysianthus is. So it, it's completely different wherever you're based out of. For sure. Nope, exactly. And that's a great point. And like you said, too, like living in a rural community, a lot of folk don't even have any knowledge whatsoever about half of the flowers that we're growing. So you could definitely have to uh, find what sells well in your area. I have about 150 favorites based on my seed orders. And I just can't seem to cut any, so. But one of the, I'll, I'll say more just a broad general class of my favorites, I really, really love the varieties of Celosia. And I know that seems like a very beginner level flower to a lot of people, but for me, it's easy. It's pretty heat tolerant here. It just does really, really well. I really am partial to the crested varieties. Will I say it's my top seller? I've got to like do some work on people because they look like, well, they look like brains. And some people just don't want a flower that looks like a brain, which honestly, that makes complete sense to me. But I, I'm fascinated by them. But for me, they've really worked well because I have been doing a lot more stuff with dried florals because dried florals have been really, really trendy. And I love the multi-purpose of it. If it's not coming out of the field quite as quickly as it should and hitting florist or consumers as fast as it should, then we can keep it and we can dry it. And there's another, another chance for that. With all of that said, as I've switched to a more florist model, the big chunky brains have not exactly been what I'm going after. There's not too many brides. There are actually some brides who really, really love the dark, rich reds for their weddings. 
but they are not like my top selling florist crop, but it is one that I absolutely love. And I, no matter what I do, I will figure out a way to grow all the celosias, any varieties. I just, I'm really partial to them. They, they hold up forever and they have a textural element that is, it's kind of hard to get. They are incredible. Yes. And there's such a range in the celosia family. The feathered ones, I'm one to like go through the catalog and be like, I'm getting this, 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 this. And, you know, I just try it. And I've really liked the feathered ones because they add that like airy, feathery texture, like you said, and you can dry them and they're just really cool. So Celosia is awesome. Now, question for you. Do you direct? I would do a hybrid of both. I would do some inside and some direct outside. Since I have, this is also a huge transition. Since I've started having more of the health issues, for me, a lot of it that I struggle with is the bending and the squatting, those sort of things. So for me to have to take a plant, you spend time planting it, and then you pull it out, and then you go and you spend more time planting it. So anything that I can direct sow, I have actually switched, even though it might come a little later. I've switched it because it saves me a little bit of time. Um, so the celosias, I only direct sow, and I've, I've made that switch a lot, but I have the luxury of doing that because I don't need them to like sure up the very early summer CSA program that I used to run. Now I can be a little more selective, which honestly I love. <laughs> yeah, so I, I pretty much direct seed only with Celosia and they, they're just, they're, they really do get going so quickly and they germinate pretty well. So I don't have too many issues with that. You know, something that's going to germinate a little more questionably I do like to start inside. Yeah, yeah. And I think you have the conditions for it too. Cause I have tried to direct seed it and it like gets deep. Anything can be planted out now. I mean, that, that includes like tomatoes. Like you could really, anything you wanted to plant out could go out now. So April 20th is about the exact, actually April 20th is my, my last frost date. See, and here's the difference. My last frost date was like two <laughs> weeks ago. Yes, here yes. you're already picking blooms and I'm not, again, I don't understand this somebody please like redefine the zoning that that is really really that's sense. actually really fascinating <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't know about that but it's been it's been really really temperate here it's really really been really nice because I have a longer growing season it is it's a lot more accessible to me to wait and start seeds direct so if I was in a shorter growing season I would be planting more and let me just say I start plenty plenty of seeds indoors but anything I can kind of push outside I'm like you know what like let me just push those outside I can wait four more weeks so and that's that's what I'm doing but that's just a personal choice if you have a little more time then sure go ahead and you know plant them up um I favor the direct seed yes if I could just throw the seeds on the ground and they do their thing plus yeah they, they seem like they're healthier I mean a lot of plants really don't like their root zone disturbed so when I see people transplanting sunflowers I get like so nauseous to my stomach because I know they can make it but I mean the root structure on a sunflower they just do not want to be to be transplanted like and there's really no reason to in my opinion because they the pro cut ones will grow in 55 days you're not gonna find a quicker bloom than that why are we transplanting those anyway that's my hot take for today <laughs> if you transplant them oh, you transplant them don't you that's just how it goes I, 
Oh, no. Yeah, but my problem is if I put the okay, seed in the so ground, the dang that, birds eat them. That like, is, literally, the I robins are that. out there that like, is eating bad. them. I apologize. <laughs> I am so sorry. No, but it's a great point of like, if you can, like you should. And I have done it with some just to test my philosophy here. And they are like healthier plants. But yeah, I have too much like pest pressure to not the birds aren't really pests. But um, even yeah, the that's so I, maybe I just so. plant so many <laughs> that I don't notice. But yeah, I will. I will say that it's a very real issue. So if yeah, if you're struggling with that, then maybe transplanting is the way to go. Me, I just, I go out there and I use my little Earthway cedar and I just push it like I'm like a grandma in shopping cart. And yeah, I just, that's what I do. <laughs> They're great. No, those are phenomenal. I have one too. And it's like, oh, it's so much easier. And like you said, just on the body. And plus, let's think about the cost versus the revenue side of it. If you can put it directly in the ground and not have to pay for, you know, the lightings, the heat mats and all that Absolutely. Stuff, which, yeah. So blue, it's a, so. it's a little, you know, it can be argued that you could have with cut and coming in or medium producers you could argue that you have more blooms if you get them out earlier which can be true but also you have to have someone be there to take care of it all well austin i've fully enjoyed our time together and this has been so great i'm just curious as we kind of continue to wrap up here if you have any word of advice particularly for newer growers who are wanting to get into the space please do not go out there and try and plant like a full acre so i think everyone gets this idea that bigger means more flowers that is not true i've cut down my personal growing space to about a quarter of what it used to be and i'm actually producing probably just just as much volume and better quality so this idea of like planting more means you're going to grow more and you're going to have more revenue it is fake that is not true strategically planting and doing a good job taking care of what you're growing is going to give you more more revenue in the long run so if you're intimidated by like that acre that you think you need an acre to reach some sort of revenue goal. Do not let, don't, don't get in your own way. All right, start small and then see what you can accomplish in that space and then grow as you see fit and as makes sense for you, your body, your business, etc. I absolutely love that. And it's so true. Like that first year that I started my flower farming journey, my husband said to me, start small, figure out if this is even worth it or if you can make a go of it. And yeah, like I was planting them in the tiniest of spots and just being really efficient with my space. And with flowers, you can do that. So I absolutely love that advice. First started, I had like this massive field and I honestly, I killed most everything. <laughs> that is not the way to learn. <laughs> But I, you know, you do learn from it, but just just take it from me. That's not the best way. And that's an excellent point. The more you have, the more chance that you neglect stuff. And also it gets, yes, you know, tiring yes. on your body and your soul and yes, your <laughs> everything in between. Well, Austin, this has been so grand. Thank you for joining us. If you could just share kind of where folks can find you on social media or if they would like to connect with you locally. At Buzzed Blooms on Instagram. That's B-U-Z-Z-E-D, like past tense, like a little bee has buzzed on this bloom. So you find me there. I'm really responsive. So 
if you have questions, feel free to reach out. I try and get back to everybody. So perfect. Well, thanks again, Austin. This has been such a yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate you sharing your journey. I just want to say thank you again to Austin for not only sharing so many great pieces of advice, but just being open about his struggles with his health and how he's had to pivot in not only his life but with his flower farming journey. And I just really thank him again for sharing those experiences with us because we really do have a lot to learn from his journey. So thanks again for being here and we will chat with you next week. Take care. Well, that wraps up this episode. Thank you so much for joining in to the conversation and together all boats will rise and local flowers will be blooming fabulous in all of our communities. So if you are a fellow flower farmer that want to join in on the conversation, please reach out to us to get you scheduled for a podcast episode. And if you're just listening in and enjoy the podcast, please share with your friends, your family, and everybody you know. We really appreciate it. Thank you.